This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Carpe Diem with your host, Lisa McDonald. My mama told me when I was young, we're almost superstars. She rolled my hair with my lipstick on, in a glass of purple glass. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so very much for joining, rejoining me here again on this lovely Friday morning. I am Lisa McDonald. This is my host show, Carpe Diem, and I'm with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Very once again grateful and excited to be joined by another phenomenal guest. Uh, this guest hails from Fort Mac, Alberta, and as we all know, it's been uh, a bit of an unfortunate crisis going on there. So we're going to turn it over to Unscripted Dialogue shortly. I'm just going to, for the sake of giving listeners uh, some background and some insight into my guest, because of course the expansive reach... Uh, listenership reach and base for this show is 145 countries, 220 TV, radio, terrestrial satellites, and the potential for millions of iTunes downloads. So once again, thank you for joining myself and my guest, Larry. So Larry, who is Larry Allenbach? Well, Larry is husband, father, power engineer, musician, network marketing professional, and citizen of Fort McMurray, who strives to empower and enrich the lives of others through service in church, community, and business opportunity. Larry has served in the Canadian Air Force. He has served actively with church callings. He has been a leader in Scouts Canada. He is a leader in his network marketing profession and has been involved in many other volunteer opportunities, including having organized a fundraising event for the community of Slave Lake, which suffered a devastating wildfire in 2011. Larry is now living in Fort McMurray with his beautiful wife and three children and is working in the oil field for one of the largest employers in the Wood Buffalo region. So, Larry, I want to thank you very much for your time. I know it's been a huge ordeal for what you're going through with your community. And I know that things have been extremely busy as a result of all of that. So I want to thank you very much for joining me here for an hour on radio. How are you? Fantastic. Thank you very much. Wonderful. So, Larry, why don't we start for our listeners? Again, because the reach is quite global. I'm sure there isn't anybody who hasn't heard of what's happened in Fort Mac. But do you want to set the stage for when this happened, what happened, and what's happening currently at the moment in terms of the community and rebuilding uh, or just dealing still with the aftermath of what's taken place? Well, it's it's been quite a quite a surreal ordeal, I guess you could say. Um, basically, the whole thing started, I guess it would have been Sunday, uh, May the 1st, and uh, there was a small wildfire uh, just south of Fort McMurray, which uh, quickly spread due to uh, an incredibly dry weather, very hot. It was in the low 30s here, which is pretty high for, for this area, and uh, because we had such a dry winter, and that combined with the uh, very high winds at the time, really made that fire spread quite quickly. Um, we, we have since returned. Our, our community is getting back to normal. And uh, it's really quite quite encouraging to see the uh, community spirit that's really thriving here. Uh, the people of Fort McMurray are very resilient people. We have very uh, 
tough winters here, and uh, but we do have beautiful summers, and and our community itself has been through its ups and downs. Uh, most recently, with the downturn in the uh, in the economy here this last year, or so uh, we've lost a good number of, of families from our community uh, due to loss of jobs, and and that's been very disheartening. So we we kind of already took a hit, but in a different kind of way, I guess you could say. Um, but really, it's it's been really uh, really quite something to see the community pull together, and not just the community itself, but the the entire country for that matter. We've had so much support from from all all ends of uh, of Canada, uh, both coasts and everywhere in between. It's it's really been phenomenal. Uh, we can't thank you enough for for the help and support and prayers that have come our way, and um, it's just very very. Uh, very encouraging to see the people come back, and we were uh, we returned on the second of June to our neighborhood here, and uh, there wasn't a whole lot of amenities open just as yet, so it was kind of neat to see. You know, we had a couple restaurants and and places where we could go and meet and gather with our friends uh, besides our homes, and but even total strangers have been friends since we returned. It's, it's quite something. Um, as far as what we experienced. Um, my family personally, um, I guess it was the 3rd of May that we actually evacuated from Fort McMurray. Um, myself with my, my job, I was actually on, on night shift at the time. And um, we had actually, actually, let me just backtrack a little bit. The Sunday night when the fire was up in the Beacon Hill area, it was, it was getting quite close to town at that time. And uh, actually my wife called me at work because we had uh, some friends who were out of province and and uh, their kids were were home, and and they were up in the Beacon Hill area. So my wife Jen was quite concerned about that, and and with help of another friend, we were able to get the to get the kids out of there and uh, bring them to our home here. So we had a uh, we had four extra kids in the house, which which made things pretty fun. But uh, on the Tuesday morning, I had just come off a night shift. I had to drop my truck off at the dealership for some servicing. And I'm doing some errands. I was a little bit late getting back to bed, so it was about noon when I was able to retire. And uh, about an hour later, my wife came and quite in a startle woke me up and said, we got to go. And I said, what do you mean? She said, we got to go. Look out the window. So I looked out my front window and I saw a huge plume of, of smoke. She said, no, no, not that window, that window, the one in the back. So when I went down in the back, it was unbelievable. It was massive big big black clouds it was indescribable but i said okay yeah we gotta go we gotta get out of here okay let me go get the truck and then we'll get gather up the kids and and we'll get out of town as quick as we can so uh we hopped in our car took off to the the dealership we weren't two minutes from our home we got a call from our son who's at school our youngest son he said dad you got to come pick me up they've uh they closed the school down we're we're in lockdown right now They've got us all in the gym. You got to come pick us up. So um, we went and uh, to pick him up, and one of one of the kids that we were caring for was at the same school with him. But then we had the three other kids at three different schools all over town. Wow. Luckily, one of them had a, had a vehicle, so he was able to to uh, to make his way home. But we had no way to contact them. We couldn't get a hold of the parents. They were back in Ontario dealing with the crisis with their home there, and. Um, it was really quite something because my wife, she's a, she's a mama for sure. And she was very, very concerned and very panicked. And, uh, 
we had to we had to find a way to get around to the other schools and, and grab up all the other kids and we were able to do that thankfully um within the hour we returned back to the home and then i contacted the dealership and said uh, you know I'll be there as quick as i can can you just pull my truck outside they said sure no problem so by the time we got those kids there and then we had our our daughter uh, larissa who was working at the time and uh, she works at one of the local banks or they they closed up the bank and then she made her way home and uh, we were trying to get a hold of our oldest son because he works at the same place that I do. He was on night shift the same as I was. He wasn't answering his phone. He had it on vibrate, so he didn't want to be disturbed. So we tried and tried and tried to get a hold of him and we couldn't get him. And then, of course, my, my wife was uh, a little bit frantic at this point and, and we were able to contact his wife at her work and then she went to the house and, and woke him up and Anyway, long story short, after an hour and a half or, or so, uh, we gathered the family all together, and uh, we um, well, we were we were pretty pretty concerned at this point, I guess, because this fire was was spreading very very rapidly, and uh, so we got together. We had to set a, a little prayer together as a family and ask for help to all the first responders who were desperately battling this blaze. And uh, we started to head out. We decided we we're going to go south because Fort McMurray, if you if you look at the map, there's only one way in and one way out mm-hmm. um, once you get into the community. And um, so we we tried to go south, and the, they said no, you can't go south because we can't. Once you cross the bridge at that point, Abbasan was was completely engulfed, and that's just on the south side of the bridge. So Fort McMurray is divided by the Athabasca River, which is approximately I guess about a mile across. So everyone who was now on the north side had to stay north. And uh, those that were fortunate enough to be on the south stayed south. But north of town, we have all the oil field sites, and there's a number of uh, work camps as well, too. So they suggested on the radio that everybody head north who was on the north side, so we did. And uh, it took us uh, probably an hour or so uh, to get about 20K north of town where there was... Uh, a work camp there so we pulled in and stayed kind of just pulled in the driveway and around uh, facing the highway so we were close so wow. the second we headed south we could we could head south right mm-hmm. but by this point there were thousands and thousands of vehicles coming and coming and coming it was unbelievable and uh thank goodness for the camp because they were absolutely incredible uh, we decided we would try to get a room there for the night so we went and stood in the line there about an hour and a half and the whole time we were there the the staff was just they were so accommodating. They were coming out. They were bringing people food and water and treats for the kids. And and uh, it, it was really quite heartwarming to see the, the support that we were getting from from these folks. And um, so anyways, we got the, to the front of the line. We're about two people away. And then they said, sorry, folks, but we're all booked up. Uh, we have no more room. Um, there are other camps further north that they suggested we might want to try. Uh, but we really didn't want to go north, so we kind of went back to the to our vehicles and, and waited there with our, our kids. So at this point, we had my wife and I and our youngest son in our SUV. My daughter was behind us and hers, and my son and his uh, wife were behind us in their car, and then behind them was the van with the kids. So we had our little convoy going there, and it was really something to just to, to talk and to mix and mingle with the people that were there. I mean, there was all different kind of responses from people. Some were panicked. Some people were seeing all kinds of crazy things on, on Facebook and saying, oh, my goodness, this is gone and that's gone and that's gone. And, you know, there were, there were 
tears and hugs and and everything going around and people were so supportive it was just it was incredible and uh you know the the frightening thing for for many folks was that they weren't able to join up with their families um my daughter uh, one of her co-workers her their daughter was with the babysitter up in uh Avisand. So she had to evacuate, but they were unable to meet up with their daughter or the, because they were sent south and, and the, you know, the husband and wife were sent north. So it was, it was actually two days before they were able to reunite with their daughter because they well, had to wait to get evacuated from the north. It was, well, it was quite something. Well, a few things I want, I want to get in here and I want to, I want to say, and I really appreciate you, uh, really spelling that out for us because, um, First of all, a couple of things I'm going to say, and I'm going to say them simultaneously so I don't lose this thought. So the first thing, when you were talking in the introduction at the top of the hour here, and you were mentioning about, um, you know, the fact that the, you'd already suffered a hit as a community based on the economy and people having already, uh, you know, they've, they'd left Fort Mac. You know, in one hand, you can look at that as a blessing. You know, because that would have been more people potentially who would have been in the throes of this crisis, uh, and the outcome for them may not have been as good as what yours is. And thankfully, that's the case. And I'm so grateful that you're safe, your family's safe, and that you're here to join me on radio uh, to discuss this and enlighten people as to what that day would have looked like for, at least from your perspective, as it unfolded. So that's my first thought. My second thought is, you know, I think you... By sharing with us, you know, going back to what you said when your wife said, look out the window. No, not that window. Look out the other window. Um, you know, and really just logistically pointing out to us that um, it, it was for many people, including yourself, although it had a good outcome and you were all safely able to evacuate and eventually meet up and reunite, as you mentioned, uh, but yeah, logistic nightmare because, you know, people think that when something like this happens, there is the perception or perhaps the presumption uh, that when a crisis is happening, everybody's underneath the same roof, you know, and in your case, you had to go get your vehicle, you know, you had other people's children, not everybody went to the same school. Um, so, you know, that wasn't even something that I actually had conceived of. And so I appreciate you very clearly in your description of outlining what that day looked like, uh, that that would have been a reality for a lot of people because it would have been a normal day. People go about their business. People follow through with their routines. People go to school. People go to work. People drop their kids off with whomever for the day while they're going to work. And, um, yeah, so that would have been a lot to coordinate in the midst of a crisis. So it sounds like you handled it beautifully. And, you know, I, I truly, from just the behind-the-scenes conversations we've had prior to us going live with the show and uh, in preparing for the show, you know, you've said all along consistently how grateful you are, how grateful the community is, and to the degree that people are rising uh, <clears throat> and being of support to one another in any which way possible. And so I'm really glad to hear that there's been a plethora of support. Uh, people who understand what's happened to your community uh, would be well aware of the fact that it's going to take years. It's going to take years to rebuild. Some people, unfortunately, lost their homes. Some people, from what I've heard, their houses are still standing, but um, it's not safe to return to occupy just because of all the dust, the debris, the contaminants, uh, you know, lack of proper... Um, 
oxygen, uh, you know, just unhealthy. So, you know, do you want to tell us a little bit about what what is happening for you, your home, neighbors, overall community? How many people are displaced right now? Um, well, I, I was actually just looking up some of the stats here um, yesterday, and I'll, I'll just kind of show you what I or what I had found here. Basically, what happened is that the community of Abbasand itself, uh, approximately 50% loss of homes in that area. Beacon Hill, approximately 70% loss of homes. Uh, Dickens Field, there were two homes lost. In downtown, there was one home lost. And um, uh, Grayling Terrace, four houses lost and six damaged. North Parsons, there was a, a school that was being built that's uh, unfinished, and it's it's a write-off. Um Sapri Creek, which is a, a small hamlet, approximately uh, 30% of this hamlet, which is 11K south of, or to the east of Fort McMurray. Um, there was also uh, Anzac. I believe there was 13 homes lost in Anzac. In Timberley, just about uh, three streets over from where I live, there was there's a small uh, uh, trailer park there. There was 13 trailers lost, just two streets over from that. Uh, there was 15 homes burnt on Walnut Crescent, uh, Blackburn Drive. There were three structural fires. And then just about a kilometer and a half from where we live in Stone Creek, the the entire, uh, it's kind of a shape like a horseshoe, the whole inside of the horseshoe. Every home was decimated in that area there. So I believe that the final tally they said was 2,400 structures in total. And, um, well, I guess for a time there was, nearly 90,000 people that were displaced. Wow. And it's an absolute miracle that that many people get out of here alive, considering it is a one way in and one way out. And uh, a number of the the families that weren't able to make it south, uh, that were forced to go north like ourselves, we were actually fortunate because um, while we were waiting at the camp there and uh, the people kept coming north, they were filling the camps to the north. And um, we actually, about 10.30 that night, we were able, uh, we get the okay from the RCMP that we were able to go south, that the fire had subsided enough that it was safe to drive south on Highway 63 through town. So there was a mass exodus at that point. And we had about a, I guess about a 30K drive to get from where we were to the south side of town. And that took almost three hours to do that. Uh, there was still lots of smoke, lots of fire. We come back into town and to see all of Beacon Hill and, and Abbasan were still ablaze. It was it was really uh, really disheartening, but at the same time we were so grateful that that we were unaffected. I guess you could say um, we did have some help. I I realized um, as we were heading south that uh, I, had to, I still hadn't picked up my truck yet, and I didn't know because I'd heard that the fire had swept up through that area, so I didn't know if they had a truck to pick up. So by the time we got south of town to the last set of lights, uh, the the RCMP had all four lanes. Uh, even the northbound lanes, everybody was heading south at that point. So I asked for permission to to go up, uh, cut across, and go up and get my truck, and they told me, no, we can't let you drive up there. And I said, but I have myself and all these people here with me. i gotta, I got to get my truck so I can get my fifth wheel so we have a home to go to. And they said, I'm sorry, sir, but there's too much chaos. Everybody's going like this. And I said, well, I have to go. You don't understand. I have to get my truck. And they they said, just wait one minute. She went over and she talked to her superior. She come back. She said, listen, I can't let you drive up there because it's just going to create mayhem. Uh, people are going to think it's another way out. 
So, but said, if you want, you can walk up and get it. It's only about a half a mile. So I just said, okay, perfect. Told my wife, go down the road five miles, pull over, and I'll run up and grab the truck. So I did. I went up, and my daughter went with me as well, too. And we were able to get my truck and then go up past the airport, grab my fifth wheel, and then head south of town. And uh, the unfortunate thing was I didn't have nearly enough fuel in my truck to get to where we had to go. But very, very luckily, um, there was a, a company that was parked where we were at the camp, and they gave me a jerry can full of diesel. So that was that was the first blessing of the day that was, was great. So we were able to make it south. Um, we drove about four hours to um, a roadside turnout. Everybody was exhausted. And uh, we finally pulled over, opened up the fifth wheel. Everybody piled in and then slept about three, four hours and woke up in the morning and said, okay, we're 80K from the nearest gas station in Wanda River. So I called them. They said, yep, we got diesel. Perfect. So we hit the road. And it was still slow going because traffic was coming all night long. And uh, so we, they had all four lanes heading south at this time again. So we, we got to our destination at Wandering River. And there was a lineup about probably a kilometer and a half or two kilometers up the highway of people waiting to get fuel. So I said, oh, boy, <laughs> we're going to be in trouble. We're going to be stuck here for a while. So anyways, we, uh, the RCMP waved us across. We were in heading south in the northbound lanes that time. They cut us across to Wandering River. They said, you need fuel? I said, yes. Okay, pull in here to the Petro Canada. So they let me across, but they sent everyone else in my family, they sent them all down the highway. They wouldn't let them cross over because there was too much of a lineup. But they saw I had the fifth wheel, so I needed fuel. So I pulled in there, and there was a uh, one of the volunteers. She said, sir, do you need fuel for your truck? I said, yes. She said, this gentleman right over here is a local business owner, and he's giving away 1,600 liters of diesel today. Wow. Just to help you sell it. I said, oh, my goodness, are you kidding me? That is amazing. So I pulled up. I gave the guy a great big handshake and uh, and hugged him. And thank you so much. You have no idea what this means to me. And um, he said, no problem, sir. And anyway, I start chatting with the gentleman. And and uh, I said, my goodness, this guy looks familiar to me. I said, what's the name of your company? Where are you from? He said, this, my name company is King of Cats. I'm from Conklin. I said, Jason, is that you? I actually knew the guy. I hadn't seen him in about eight years. And he didn't wow. Him. I said, you are an absolute angel. Thank you so much for what you're doing. Because we have to go to Coal Lake. So the only other place to get fuel between Wandering River and uh, and uh, is about 60K south of that, which is grassland. And the traffic was backed up there and they were running out of fuel fast. So the only thing else we could do was cut across to the southeast and go towards Plumondon and Lac Labiche and then to Cold Lake from there. So anyway, Jason said, here, I'm going to fill you up. And, uh, man, it's good to see you again. Have a great day. I mean, that was just amazing. That's Beautiful. miracle number two. So we headed east to Plumondon. Uh, oh, by the time <laughs> at this point, our, the kids in the van had left them a quarter tank of fuel. So we had to, uh, we had to find them fuel pretty quick. And then I, I, I have a, uh, our fifth wheel is actually a toy hauler, so it has a little fueling station in the back. And I had maybe a couple bucks worth of fuel in there, just enough that I could put it in the van. Um, the police kindly waved us over, gave us a spot to, to fill the van up as we cut across through a dirt road to get to Plamondon um, the quickest way we could. And then when we got to, uh, to Plamondon, same thing, line up for a mile. We said, oh, man, we'd, let's just go to Lac Labiche. We're 30 minutes away. So we took a chance and made it to there. And we pulled in the gas station, and at that point, there was lots of fuel, no lineups, no nothing. Nobody was even thinking about going to Lac Lavish at this point. So we went there, and there, as I was filling up, there was a gentleman there that had a, a, 
a one-ton truck and he had a great big uh, slip tank on the back and he was filling it up and and I just started chatting with him and he said, hey, where did, where did you come from? Are you guys from Fort McMurray? I said, yes, we are. We just made it down and we're so fortunate to be here and and uh, we've had so much help along the way. He said, listen, when I was 10 years old, my family lost our home to a fire and I know exactly what you people are going through. He said, I want to help. What can I do? Where are people, are, where are they stuck? Because there's all kinds of reports on radio. People ran out of fuel all along the highway. So he had this great big slip tank full, and he said, I want to go help these people. So away he went, 1000 bucks worth of gas in his, in his truck there, just out of the kindness of his heart to go and, and, and help people make a difference. I mean, it's just incredible. I could tell you story after story after story. I'm sure. When we got, into, when we got to Cold Lake, which was our final destination, um, these four kids, they, because they lived in Beacon Hill, we heard all the reports that Beacon Hill is basically gone. There's nothing. So here are these kids with their clothes on their back. And, uh, you know, a couple of things in their, in their bags. And, um, so we, we used to live in Cold Lake. We have a lot of friends down there. And my wife, she put out a Facebook request. Hey, we've got these four kids. Basically, they lost everything. Is there anyone that can help us out? And so we took, uh, <clears throat> we met with our friends down there and we said, you know what? Let's take the kids and take them out for dinner, or whatever. We went to grab some pizza. We come back to their, to our friend's house. And their home, they had a room, was full, full of brand new clothes for all these kids. Oh, my. Clothes and food. And and uh, some people didn't know what to buy, so they just brought money. They're like, we want to help. What can we do? What can we do? It was just incredible. The community just opened their hearts and, and homes, and it was absolutely overwhelming. And Fantastic. Well, yeah, what I what I would what I would like to say too, because the hour goes very quickly here, so there's a few things that I want to cover in the program as well, and I really want to thank you very much, Larry, for uh, you know illustrating and depicting and very much articulating what that was, and it's always great to hear. Uh, because there's so much negativity, you know, <clears throat> there's so much negativity in the world. You turn on the news and people just focus on as unfortunate and tragic as it is, you know, what's happened to Fort Mac. You know, the place is on fire. People have been displaced. People are homeless. People are scattered. Um, but there's always good stories and uh, acts of random kindness that comes from these types of events. We know that from following what's happened in history with events like 9-11 and, you know, what you were involved in with helping people with the slave lake crisis. And, um, you know, so there's, there's so many things that happen on a global scale that affect communities, impact people on an individual and a family level. And, it takes years in these cases to rebuild, you know, whether you're talking about the towers, whether you're talking about a community, whether you're talking about anything. So it's always welcome, particularly with this show being all about personal empowerment, being of service to others and paying it forward, uh, that we highlight the positivity and the big hearts and the generosity and people pulling together and rallying for each other, whether you know each other or not. And experiences like that bond you forever. You know, so absolutely beautiful that you captured all of that. So not only do I want to at some point before we wrap up, because this would be pivotal in terms of uh, you providing information of allow, uh, letting listeners know where else they can, what they can do, who they can contact, any website. So we'll get to that shortly. But, um, you know, when you talk about logistics as well, you know, when your community's on fire and ablaze and it's a, a mandatory evacuation, you know, everybody's obviously vulnerable in that situation. Safety and getting out alive is the first priority. So 
what happens to people who are in seniors' homes? What happens to pregnant women? What happens to people who are in care within hospitals? Uh, you know, what, how did that all unfold? Well, it, it, you know what? It, yeah, it's, it's, it was a logistical nightmare. You could say that. I was very, very impressed by the first responders and uh, particularly while the firefighters were fighting the fires, the RCMP did such an amazing job at at uh, keeping the traffic going. And I mean, there was times where it was at, at an absolute standstill. Uh, we've got some friends that we actually get out before the mandatory evacuation for our area, but the area next to us was mandatory. And I said, you know, let's not wait for this. Let's just get out of here. Um, so we had friends that actually were stuck in the traffic. Um, my daughter's boyfriend, he was trying to meet up with us, and he actually got sent the other way. He went to help his friend's wife who just had a baby and because she was, you know, she there's only so much that she could do, and we figured less vehicles on the road, let's let's help each other out like that. And there was a lot of that where people came together to, to help one another out. And um, as far as the uh, the hospital is concerned, I'm not sure how to get everybody out of there, but they managed to do it safely. Nobody was injured. Nobody was was uh, no loss of lives. Um, this is actually a, a tremendous uh, testament to, to the people here of, of this community. I'll tell you one thing about our being an old oil oil field based industry or community. We are trained on a consistent basis for these kind of things. Um, we have one of the safest industries to work in, actually, believe it or not because it's constant focus on preparedness and on what to do if something could go wrong, what could go wrong, and what would you do to mitigate it. You know, we're trained on this constantly. So to see the people, there there was a little bit of panic, I would say. Uh, I've seen some videos of people driving out of Beacon Hill, for example, where literally the, the embers were the size of, of uh, baseballs and basketballs flying off the trees and coming at the traffic and people on motorbikes trying to get out of there and, I'd be panicked, you know, if I was right in the thick of that. But they really, for the most part, people really kept their heads together and they worked together to, to help one another get out of these communities. I've heard numerous stories of people who've gone to friends' places and because it's a shift work town, lots of people were on night shift and people just weren't waking up. They weren't answering their phones and guys are going and banging down the doors to, to go get their friends and neighbors to make sure that everybody got out safe. And this is the real, this is the real miracle is that nearly 90,000 people get out of here unscathed. I mean, that's just incredible to see that that had happened, mm-hmm. uh, considering the, the devastation that we're, we're being faced with here. And um, I can't say enough about that. Uh, having having returned now and seeing the other side where people were just slowly starting to trickle back, I mean, it's unfortunate. Every, this has taken its toll on, on so many families. Some people have decided not to come back. Some people have no home to come back to. Some are thinking, I don't want to rebuild there. I want to go back to where my family is, wherever wherever that was. Uh, we do have, um, I know personally of, of 18 families uh, between workers and, and friends uh, who have lost their homes and lost everything that they had. Uh, some people, unfortunately, they didn't have adequate insurance coverage, either for their contents or some people are fighting with their insurance to get, to get resolution so they can rebuild and, and they're not getting anywhere with it. So, I know we have some friends that had some GoFundMe uh, accounts as well too. Where we're trying to help them to rebuild, and uh, but overall, to see the way that people are working together. When we came back to town, it, w- it was very desolate. There was hardly any traffic whatsoever. We came in, we checked in with the Red Cross and and all our uh, utilities companies and everything, and 
they were so swift to respond to get to get us resituated, to get the power and or the gas back on, and to help us get into our homes. And as a community, our our neighborhoods, it was so nice to see people were out helping each other. We were all tossing our fridges out because they'd been, you know, or uh, sitting there stagnant for for a number of weeks. And so uh, between helping each other toss out our fridges, helping each other mow our lawns, and and take care of uh, of those people that weren't even home yet they didn't have the means it was just incredible to, to see people come together it lovely <laughs> lovely and as i it really warms my heart to hear all this and uh, i'm sure it's just going to make the rebuilding process in the community of fort mac that much more solidified and tight um so again there's always brightness that comes out of darkness and it sounds like people who didn't even know each other really pulled together and showed what it was to be a human being what it was to be a, a neighbor um and each other's brother and sister so i couldn't be happier to hear about those stories as well and as i mentioned to you larry prior to going live when we spoke on the phone in preparation for the show i mentioned to you you know everybody's always looking to find a way in which to support and people do what they can within the means available to them. And as I mentioned to you, uh, you know, the town that I live in, Dundas, people have really, and not just Dundas, surrounding areas to where I live, communities, uh, other cities, other townships, um, you know, I really struggled with what can I do? Because I knew government was kicking in with money. I knew a lot of people were sending things to the Red Cross. Red Cross itself was kicking in. Um, but I thought, you know, I always go back to whatever the situation, whatever the crisis. For me, as an author of children's books currently, I'm always thinking about children and everybody has the children at the forefront of their minds and at the center of their hearts so I thought okay what what can we all do to get on board here to spearhead to help these people who we of course will probably never see never interface with directly and uh, so as a an author I thought, you know, particularly with the messages of my book, which although very uniquely different in their own right, um, they all pretty much the premise of all my material and my radio shows is, uh, you know, giving back, being of service to others. And I certainly come from a community that completely embodies that on a regular basis. Uh, we're as strong a community as you can get. So uh really warms my heart to hear what's happening in Fort Mac. But anyway... Um, as I mentioned to you, what we're doing here is I'm people who have already generously and graciously purchased my books. And now that my third one just got released yesterday from the printers, uh, people even more so are getting on board with purchasing copies of books, doing their own personal inscription, whether it be them and or their children. And at the end of the summer, uh, my distributor and myself uh, based on the collective effort of everybody combined who believes in this, uh, we're going to be shipping the books out to the Edmonton Library uh, because in doing some research about what we could do and how do we do this logistically, uh, we came across uh, it being known that Edmonton Library has opened up its doors to family and children member members who are in possession of a Fort Mac library card. So I thought to myself, well, isn't it lovely that, that Edmonton is doing that and that the children still have access to resources and materials? But I thought, you know, as any library service goes, there's the expectation that once you borrow something, you have to return it. And for everything that's been lost uh, by a good portion of these children, um, I thought, okay, well, let's donate these books that everybody has graciously and generously gotten behind to purchase uh, with the intention of the children being the recipient of these books. Let's send them at the end of the summer 
to Edmonton Library, and when the people come in who have a Fort Mac library card, the librarians will know through a letter that I'll include in the shipment order that uh, the Fort Mac children are to keep these books. And then they can read the messages. They can know that they're being thought of, that they're being loved and cared for from afar, and that, uh, you know, even though people are out of, um, like, initial harm's way, uh, that, you know, we understand what's going on. This is going to take quite some time to rebuild, and, and I'm sure the fear factor that would be attached to children and seeing you know, everything unfold and having to get picked up at school or seeing parents in disarray, seeing lineups of vehicles, people perhaps, as you mentioned, uh, running out of gas, having to do last-minute contingency planning. Uh, there's a lot of stress involved in that. And, of course, we as parents, we try to keep things as normalized as possible for our children and try not to expose them to the adult-type responsibilities and crises and issues that we know are very much a part of our adult reality at times. So, I just really want you to know that Dundas, Ontario, and neighboring communities of where I live here in Ontario uh, have all gotten behind this initiative. So at the end of the summer, um, these kids can can receive free copies of books knowing that it can, comes from a place of love. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for that. Well, I thank all the people who are buying my books because I couldn't certainly, I, this isn't, you know, nothing is just a one-person effort or initiative. And as you've beautifully outlined for all of us, this is a, a group effort. It's about teamwork. It's about community. It's about the abominable spirit. It's about kicking in, doing your part. Uh, and it, even when you're the person who has no home, or you don't have a lot of money left over, you can't access your personal materials, your possessions, um, you know, you're demonstrating from your examples and storytelling that uh, people are still rising to the occasion with whatever they've been shortchanged or what they have personally lost. So, you know, that's just the human spirit, and I believe that's what we're here to do. I really do. Right on. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's been quite something. I know uh, I've been back, uh, this is my third time back here, uh, we're finally back in our home, but the first two times they came back up to the plant where I work to to restart and get everything going again. And and to see that, that, that was quite a quite a surreal thing to see that this amazing big machine that is the plant, which has been running for 40-odd years, was at a complete standstill. There was nothing going. And to be able to restart all that and to see the, the, the spirit and, and the and the, the pride and, and the caring of, of the people that I work with, uh, seeing all, all the teams come together to re to restart this this facility and in a safe manner with no injuries, no incidents, no nothing after this thing has been running for three years and then shut off basically faster than it should have been. It's just incredible. And even I, I had the, the privilege of uh, the VP of our company actually came into my unit and did a tour with him, and he was just absolutely astounded at the spirit of the people. Uh, Even those who had lost everything were there because they knew that our community is counting on us to get this thing back up and going again so we can get people back to work. Mm -hmm. And um, those of us that were still fortunate enough to have a job, and all the contract companies that that are involved as well, too, with with that startup, it was really quite something to see it all come together. But he was just, he was overwhelmed. He was, he was very moved to see that, um, that the people were so willing to give everything they had when they had already lost everything. And it was really quite something to be a part of that. Uh, I think making history again by, uh, by regenerating these, uh, 
these facilities. It's, it's been quite something. Lovely. So why don't you share with us, Larry, because, uh, again, I'm I, as the radio show host, I always have to be cognizant of time, and I want to make sure that we're doing uh, our guests a proper service, in, especially for a message that is a, as important as this and for there always going to be, for a while at least, ongoing need in your community. Uh, I'm sure people, listeners, are wanting to know what can they do, where can they donate, any websites, anything that you can mention that there's still a lack of or a deficit of that would be uh, gratefully welcomed for people who wish to donate outside of monies or monies, where can people reach and connect? Well, obviously, uh, I guess first and foremost, the Canadian Red Cross has been absolutely astounding through all this. Uh, they've done so much to organize things and, and bring things together. Um, so their, their toll-free number is 1-800-418-1111 or email wecare at redcross.ca. Another fantastic organization here within our community is uh, the Fort McMurray United Way, and they've always been a big part of the uh, of taking care of the people's needs here in our town. Uh, their phone number is 780-791-0077 or email info at fmunitedway.com. Another phenomenal organization in our town is the Fort McMurray Food Bank, and they've always done an amazing job helping to uh, to uh, feed the families here that are in need. Their phone number is 780-743-1125 or email ea at woodbuffalofoodbank.com. Um, I do have also, uh, I have two families personally who that I know who have, who have lost everything and that don't have, uh, are having issues with their insurance to get reimbursed. Mm-hmm. And uh, through Facebook, uh, through GoFundMe, if you go to GoFundMe.com, uh, look up family name Diggle, D-I-G-G-L-E, mm-hmm. and Spirig, S-P-I-R-I-G. Both of those families are in tremendous need, and they're having a very, very difficult time. They've both been displaced. Uh, one is in southern Alberta, one's out in, B- in B.C. right now. And we really want to help get these families back here into our town. I also heard that I believe there was a total of uh, 13 local RCMP officers and 18 firefighters who lost all their homes as well, too. While these folks are are doing everything they can to keep the rest of us safe, they lost everything that they had. So um, if you, uh, whatever people can do to help, if it's a matter of of monetary donations, that's fantastic. Uh, There's a number of funding initiatives for the uh, firefighters here as well, too. We have people, a friend of mine is actually... So essentially there are uh, a number of initiatives to, to raise money to help uh, the firefighters and uh, the, the other community organizations here as well too. I've got a friend who is uh, selling some hats uh, to raise money for the United Way. If you do hashtag YMM Strong, uh, he's selling hats for $40, having really good success with that. Uh, there's lots of initiatives. I think if you just do a Google search under Fort McMurray Fundraising, you'll see all kinds of... of uh, places where you can make a difference. If it's monetary or if it's coming here and helping in the community, there's lots of people who are donating their their time and, and efforts to, to help rebuild our community. Not just those from here, but from other places who, have, who are coming here to help friends and family and, and total strangers. It's, it's really quite something to see. Fantastic. Well, I'm really happy to hear that. And uh, what I'm going to do, because, uh, you know, for anybody who 
may not be tuned into this show but is awaiting the podcast because they're at work and then they want to listen to the podcast at their leisure, what I'm going to do when I ramp up the podcast is I'm going to supply all the information, the numbers, the websites, everything you mentioned. So we'll double-check behind the scenes to ensure that I'm in receipt of all that information that you've cited online, and I will attach that to the podcast, which, of course, I will be forwarding you a copy once we're done going live. Uh, so that just gives people a visual of what to click on to if they're in a position to donate or help or contribute in any which way that they can. And as well, what I'm also going to do, which you can attach on your end to the podcast once you receive a copy of it, uh, Larry, is uh, you can let it be known that for people who want to purchase my children's books through my website or through my email, there's a few ways to contact me, too, if they want to get on board with this initiative, knowing that the books are going to be going directly to the children at the end of the summer. My distributor and I are going to be shipping things out. Um, so I can ensure that you have my contact information, and if you can let it be known uh, for anybody who's outside of Alberta, because I don't want to infringe upon people who are already still trying to, um, you know, get their feet firmly back on the ground. But if you know people who live in other parts of the world who have not been directly impacted by this crisis, who might be in a position to help with the books, I will also provide you with my contact information if that appeals to anybody in your your corner of the world, okay? Perfect. That's fantastic. And if anybody wants additional information, in particular on the on the the couple of the, the friends that I have personally, uh, I could give my email as well too. If anyone wants to, wants, wants more information on that too, so or anybody can check me out on Facebook or what have you. So feel free to do that if you want to reach out. Um, I know there's there's other organizations I I've missed that I can't think of right now, but. I'll try to incorporate as many as I possibly can, even the local SPCA here, for example. My neighbor across the street, she works for the city, and she's one of the um, the bylaw officers, and they rescued over 1,200 pets from homes, people after they had fled, and they were able to return over 1,100 of them back to their families. It, it's wow. Fantastic. Beautiful. There's lots of, of behind-the-scenes stuff going on that still continues, and it's just wonderful to see it all come together and, and to see people helping it in any way that they possibly can. So if anybody wants to contact me personally at lallenbach at gmail.com or check me out, send me a friend request on Facebook. Um, we try to post as much as we can um, to help each other out here. So there's other Facebook uh, communities here in Fort McMurray that have come out of this. Um, YM, or, uh, Fort McMurray uh, Relocation. Uh, there's Fort McMurray Friends helping, helping others, all kinds of different things like that. So check it out. There's lots to do here, lots of work. It's going to be years and years. Having spoken to some families that were in the Slave Lake fire three years ago, they're still rebuilding. So most people are back in their homes, but the infrastructure of the community has got a long way to go. So this is we're in for, for this for the long haul. But I know we're going to pull through, and I know Fort McMurray is going to be stronger than it ever was, and even is now. It's just incredible. People come from all over the world here to this community. It's, it's a wonderful uh, blend of, of cultures from, from all all points around the globe, and it's it, it's so good to see everybody come together from all different backgrounds to uh, to do what they can to help um, to rebuild this community. It's it's been fantastic. Well, I'm really happy to hear that, Larry. And as I mentioned, because we've only got a couple minutes here, but I am definitely, when it gets time to uh, uploading the podcast and forwarding that on to you personally, I'm going to ensure that all the contact information in terms of where people can reach out, connect, uh, find out details of, of the ways in which they can donate, contribute, 
uh, we're going to make sure that that's accessible to everybody. Um, but I just want to say thank you very much for the gift of your time and for being very raw and candid about what's been a very difficult and trying time for not only you personally and your family, uh, but for the community. And I just want to say that as long, you know, I want you to know that you know, situations like this, we know sometimes it's not in the news every day because the initial crisis is subsided and then the next crisis in the news takes its place. Um, but this is something that we're not going to forget about here at the Contact Talk Radio Network. We're not going to forget about it in the community and those neighboring to me that are getting on board with my initiative uh, for the books for the children. And um, so I just want to say thank you very much. We wish you all the love, all the best. Please don't feel alone. Know that we're all in this together. I believe that's what we're all here to do, to support one another, whether we know each other personally or not. It's not about that. It's about the abominable spirit and remaining connected to other people in their time of need because we never know when it's going to be ours. So I just want to say to my listening audience, I want to thank you very much again for joining me here on this Friday, this lovely day of radio with my guest, Larry. And uh, again, we're going to make the information accessible to everybody who wishes to jump on board and to donate and be of service and pay it forward to these individuals who are still and for quite some time will be in their time of need. So I wish everybody a phenomenal, safe weekend. If there's anything I can do to be a further support, Larry, please don't hesitate to reach out. We'd love to stay connected. And uh, for anybody out there, listener-wise, if you have any show topic ideas or you wish to potentially appear as a guest on my show, you can kindly reach out to me at lisamcdonaldauthor.com. McDonald is spelled M-C-D-O-N-A-L-D. Or alternatively, you can reach me at lisamcdonald13 at gmail.com. Always a treat to be joined by you. Always a treat to hear from you. I want to thank you for your loyal listenership. I want to wish everybody a very safe weekend. Love and gratitude to all. Take care and all my best. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Carpe Diem with your host, Lisa McDonald. For more information, please go to Lisa's website at lisamcdonaldauthor.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.